Please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In any given worship service, there's a good chance that you will hear some words that don't work for you. Words that do not seem helpful to your faith or spirituality. Maybe it's a name for God. Father, Lord, Holy Spirit, Sacred Mystery. Particular names may stir your soul, while others might leave you cold. Or maybe it's some traditional religious language that comes up in a hymn or a prayer or a sermon. Or maybe it's something else. Whatever it is, if I and we do a good job of using a wide range of language for God and faith and spirituality, then at some point we will use words that don't fit for you. And yet, here we are. If you are here, it means you choose to come together to be part of the worshiping community, despite that inevitable mix of elements that work for you and those that don't. We come together as the Davis United Methodist Church, one part of the body of Christ. We are Christian. We are United Methodist. We are the Davis United Methodist Church, inclusive and justice-loving, with a particular appreciation for academic inquiry and social action. That's certainly not all of who we are, but I think it's a fair expression of some of who we are as a particular congregation. This mix of elements that work and don't work for any one person applies to other things as well. Some music will move you and some will not. Some of you yearn for moments of silence while some of you merely tolerate them. But words are a primary tool of my trade, so the words we use in church are what I'm best equipped to talk about. Norman Fisher is a Zen priest and poet. One of his books he calls Zen-inspired translations of the Psalms. They aren't strictly speaking translations. He didn't translate from the original Hebrew. But he engaged in thorough study, which resulted in these versions of 93 psalms, influenced by his own Zen perspective and practice. Part of what Fisher is doing with his work with the psalms is to take language that doesn't work for him, words that don't work for him, and which he expects would not work for some of his audience. He then crafts language that expresses the essence of the original words as he understands the essence, only with different words. He suggests that words like Zion or Jerusalem, for example, originally carried meanings well beyond what we hear today. And considering how these unwieldy words might convey something meaningful today, he asked, what was the original impulse or spiritual dynamic that gave the word its original significance? Then Fisher could use his sense of that spiritual dynamic to find a word or words that would fit for him. 
He talks, for example, about the idea of sovereignty, which comes up in the Psalms over and over again. This caught my attention because images of God as Lord and King, these images that draw on hierarchical systems, have always been difficult for me. Fisher recognizes the potency of ideas of sovereignty and says this, I have pondered this, investigated it, for what I could begin to see of its spiritual content, and have finally formed a notion of sovereignty as spiritual authenticity, some deeply felt but almost indefinable quality of meaningfulness that is the highest potential of human experience. So Zen Buddhist priest Norman Fisher found a meaningful way to interpret the biblical language of sovereignty. It's a very different take from how I've ever heard that language before or what I normally think of with these images of sovereignty, images like portraying God as a king. It's also a process that any of us can use with the words and images we find unwieldy to ponder and investigate and seek the spiritual content behind a word or image that may come from a context that we don't relate to. Fisher also talks about the word God. His writing here is much easier to take in as a reader than as a listener, I think, but I hope you're able to get the gist of it anyway because it's such a great illustration of the challenges of using words for religious and spiritual ideas. He says, For many of the religious seekers I encounter, the word God has been all but emptied of its spiritual power. Even where it is taken in a positive light, it seems often reduced and tamed representing some sort of assumed and circumscribed notion of holiness or morality. For me, what is challenging about the word God is exactly that it is so emotional, metaphysically emotional. The relationship to God that is charted out in the Psalms is a stormy one, codependent, passionate, confusing, loyal, petulant, sometimes even manipulative. I wanted to find a way to approach these poems so as to emphasize this relational aspect while avoiding the major distancing pitfalls that words like God, King, Lord, and so on create. My solution was simple. I decided to avoid whenever I could all these words and instead use the one English word that best evokes the feeling of relationship, the word you. Norman Fisher's efforts to translate biblical concepts and words into language that might have real meaning for his spiritual path actually reminds me of the translating I used to do in my head during worship services. I've always had faith. I have always loved church and wanted to be part of a church community. But for years, I just couldn't relate to some of the religious language used in church services. I started translating in my head, sort of training myself 
to hear words or concepts that were meaningful to me when the preacher or creed or scripture included language that didn't work for me. So for years, I would hear God in place of Lord or Father. I would hear mistakes in place of the word sin, things like that. I say this to you partly to acknowledge that some of you may do this some of the time in worship here. In fact, if we use a broad enough spectrum of language, if we use varied words and images at different times, then all of you will hear words and images that don't work for you at some point. Hopefully you will also hear words and images that really do work for you. So I say this partly to acknowledge that some of you may be doing some translating in your heads as you participate in worship services here as a way to be part of the worshiping community. And then I also say it as perhaps a suggestion to some of you who don't already do this, this kind of mental translating, because it might actually be a useful tool that could facilitate your participation in a worshiping community given the languages and images that you find here that won't work for you all the time. I don't know if we're a bell curve exactly, but I imagine that in this congregation there is a core set of theological concepts and language and images that works for most of us in this church community. We are Christian. We are United Methodist. And as the particular United Methodist Church that is in Davis, California, we are inclusive and justice-loving. We appreciate intellectual inquiry and social action. Again, that's not all of who we are, but there's a couple of broad brush strokes for you. In November, I'm going to take a stab at exploring in sermons what a core theology or core set of beliefs might be for us. The more closely the central beliefs of this church fit with your own personal faith and spirituality, the less translating you'll have to do. So picturing that bell curve, these are the folks who fall under that big bell, folks for whom the central beliefs of this church are a close fit with your own faith and spirituality. And we specifically want to be a church where there is room for what you might call outliers, these smaller sections at the edge of the bell curve. If your personal faith and spirituality is a bit further removed from that center of the bell curve, then you may be a person who finds it helpful to do a bit more translating as you participate in the life of the church. What I'm calling translating is a way that any of us can explore beliefs and ideas offered in this church to identify an alternative interpretation that might work for you. After years of my own use of mental translation as a tool for participating in community worship, I entered the process of being a candidate for ordination in the United Methodist Church. As a candidate for ordination, I had to become fluent in the language of the Christian tradition. Now, this did not mean that I had to pretend to believe some cookie-cutter set of beliefs or claim beliefs that weren't true to me. That's not how we are in the United Methodist denomination. But I had to be able to use the traditional language and to be very clear about what those words meant to me. 
the work I did with these traditional words and ideas that are central to the Christian faith had a surprising impact on me. As I wrestled with those concepts deeply enough to find genuine spiritual significance in them, I developed a real love for some of the more traditional language. I stopped having to translate words like Lord in my head during worship services because I had a new sense of exactly what Lord meant to me, a sense that gave me genuine appreciation for what that word might stand for. I have come to see the traditional words and images and beliefs of the Christian church as valuable conversation partners. These are conversation partners who I would not have voluntarily chosen to have conversations with at some points in my life. But in spite of that, I have found them to be conversation partners that enrich my own personal faith. Of course, we here are one another's conversation partners. But what I'm calling conversation partners also include ancient creeds, traditional doctrines, academic insights, and subjective accounts of personal spiritual experience. Being willing to dialogue with a range of conversation partners enriches our own faith and understanding. This can be especially true of conversation partners we don't initially feel drawn to. Well, at least that was the case for Jesus. This is one of the ways I have come to understand the story of Jesus and the Canaanite woman, which was our scripture reading for this morning. The Canaanite woman came from a culture and gender that Jesus' own Jewish community was not interested in interacting with. Any first century Jewish male would reject a Canaanite woman as a conversation partner. Why bother? Women and Canaanites didn't have any part in their community. Neither women nor Canaanites would have anything of value to add to the conversation. But one day, a certain Canaanite woman approaches Jesus. First, Jesus flat out ignores her, doesn't acknowledge her at all. It's not quite the compassionate image of Jesus we're used to, right? Then his disciples urge Jesus to send her away, and Jesus expresses his agreement by pointing out that he feels God only sent him to what he calls the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, this Canaanite woman isn't part of Jesus' community. Again, this isn't how we're used to seeing Jesus. But the woman is persistent and speaks up again, and Jesus rejects her again, this time speaking to her, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. What an insult. Again, this doesn't fit with our image of Jesus. The woman speaks up one more time, and this time gets through to Jesus. This scripture story is precious for its illustration of how even Jesus can be called on a mistake and can be invited to a change of heart. Finally, Jesus affirms the woman. Great is your faith, he says. Let it be done for you as you wish. There are conversation partners we might not wish to engage with, whether these are individuals we don't understand or ideas that don't work for us. 
But sometimes these are the very conversation partners who reveal our limitations and invite us into broader and more expansive understandings. The Canaanite woman was such a conversation partner for Jesus. So here we are, one particular church, one worshiping community, together. We are Christian, we are United Methodist, and as the United Methodist Church in Davis, California, we are inclusive and justice-loving, we appreciate intellectual inquiry and social action, and I trust that it is the Holy One who draws us together into this community, who forms us into this community. May we see and affirm the center that holds us together, and may we find in our differences conversation partners who help us grow. Amen.